This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And as you may remember, last week we cut off sort of in the middle of an episode. This is a continuation of that episode, which was episode 338, so take it away, Taylor. No two stories are the same. And the ways in which real life differs from story are so many and so varied that it's impossible to classify or list them all. But all of them can be distilled into one single difference that separates real life from story. And that difference is narrative drive. Another way to describe describe narrative drive is unity of thought and purpose. Narrative drive is the bigger picture that holds all the story pieces together. Narrative drive is the story's main focus and the thing that's keeping everything together and moving forward. And if we replace narrative with story, you can see that narrative drive is just a really succinct way of saying, this is what's driving the story. This is what the story is about. And narrative drive is also what our brains use to create the stories we tell ourselves about all this input we're getting and give meaning to it from within that dark and silent sphere. That's why your reality might not be the same as my reality because the stories you're telling yourself, even though you're not consciously telling them about what we're experiencing is different from the stories I'm telling myself. When a reader says that the story feels like you're making it up as you went along, it's not because they don't know that you made the whole thing up. They're not stupid. They just don't have the same story lexicon that authors do. They don't have the words to describe what it is they're feeling. And what they're feeling is that good stories and well-written stories don't leave them feeling like the author was making it all up as they went along. Storytelling as craft is a form of magic. You are crafting an illusion that feels so real and so compelling that your audience dare not look away. An illusion that consumes the senses so completely that for a few short hours, that magic feels more real than reality itself. Your input signals that you are creating are just as powerful and sometimes even override the actual input signals that the world around you is sending to your brain. That's how powerful story can be. But the only way to do that is by manipulating and molding and crafting the details to give them unity and purpose and intent that the randomness and chaos of real life doesn't have. In other words, you're giving your stories meaning, you're, you're giving all of this input meaning. The true skill in storytelling is being able to take what was obviously made up along the way and twist it and turn it and knead it and weave that material back in on itself in such a way that the finished product feels complete and whole 
and intentional and deliberately thought through while also feeling as if everything that happens within it is real and possible and organically alive. So when a reviewer says, this story felt like the author was making it up as they went along, what they're really saying is, hey, you left the curtain open. It's not an illusion anymore. It's, it's gone. I can see what's happening here. So how to successfully accomplish all of that? <laughs> yeah. So that's a lifetime of learning. That's trial and error that never really ends. And it's what these last six years of this podcast have ultimately been, been about, which is finding ways to do all of this, to, to structure and mold and craft and let the reader come to it going, I know what this is about. And like I said earlier, this applies to all stories, not just the ones that are weighty and meant to be profound or whatever. This is bubblegum genre literature, still applies, same concept. So I have some examples of what this looks like in real life that I am going to, these I'm just going to riff off of. And the first one is from a show that just recently came out on HBO called Tokyo Advice, Tokyo Vice. And I don't know if like it's going to be longer right now. There's just one season. I don't even know if this season has ended. And I, um, I, I was a little hesitant to watch it because I just didn't know what it was going to be like. And the trailers kind of portrayed it as something other than what it really is. But ultimately, it is based on a memoir written by an American who moved to Japan when they were he was young and became, I believe, the first American to work at was what was then Japan's largest uh, newspaper. And he was a reporter on the crime beat. And watching this show, I mean, the show, the, the TV series, it, it uses the same names, it uses him. And it, it, it's filmed during Japan in the 80s, I think, which is when I was living there. So there is a certain sense of grittiness and realism to it that I can connect with because it's obviously filmed in Japan. And a lot of the dialogue is in Japanese with English subtitles, although I'm not fluent in Japanese. And even I can tell that the subtitles weren't always accurate <laughs> to what was actually being spoken is small things. It just remains. But on the whole, it's very well, very well done. Very, very well done. And by the time we started getting into like episode six or so, I'm sitting there going, <laughs> how much of this is actually based on real life? This, 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 I know this is based on this reporter's book, but I, I this, this is, this is not real life. And it wasn't the details that were being filmed that made me feel like it wasn't real. It's because of my understanding of story. And looking at it through that lens, I'm going, this is too unified. This too, these, these stories, these individual stories that are tying together in this filmed version of the story, there's too much coherence to it. It's too tight. 
to have been real life. Now, when you are an audience member participating in this, this is good because it means though the people who scripted this show did a bang up job, fantastic job of telling a story. The only reason I noticed it is because I am aware of the difference between, I don't say the difference, I am aware of the manipulation and the molding and the tweaking of details that goes into creating a story to give it that coherence and that wholeness and that sense of this character arc makes a complete turn. This character is intertwined with that. And it comes back to this other thing that's driving the story and what have you. And I'm looking at this, watching it, enjoying it very much because it's incredibly well done, thinking there is just no way. There is no way that this is based on real things that happened. It would be impossible for a single person to know this level of depth about these people's lives and the intertwinedness of them. And I thought, okay, I know it's based on a story based on a memoir and even the 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 guy who wrote the book he's part of this production like he's there as listed credited as being part of the team that produced this so i'm thinking well how much of this is actually real and then as we get further along in the story i'm to the point where there's no way that this is real this is fiction because it's too Good. It's too full of connections and meaning and everything we strive for as storytellers to create. So, of course, I went and looked it up and I was right. It is based on the author's memoir insofar as, hey, there's this guy who went to Japan and he worked for this newspaper and he became a crime reporter and he helped uncover and broke these stories. And It was so dangerous that in the end, he couldn't even publish them in Japan and he only published them later. That is all true. But not one single character in the TV version is based on someone, is is someone in real life. Everything is fictionalized. They draw from, oh, there's this character who kind of resembles this real life person who had these things happen in their real life. But that's about it. Everything else fictionalized. So in the in the real life version there is a cop that was very helpful to this guy when he was doing the crime beat and they became very close. In the fictionalized version there is a cop who the guy who's doing the crime beat is working together with and they become close. But none of the underlying details None of the character stories, none of the interactions, none of that is real. It's all scripted. It's loosely, loosely taking ideas from real life and manipulating it and molding it into something more. And the truth is, that was the right call. Because only in the rarest of rarest circumstances does real life translate well to story. And it only does so when you're able to manipulate and mold the details to give it a coherent storyline and and make everything feel complete in itself. And there just aren't that many stories that work that way, which is why everything is always 
based on, and then very loosely based on, and then inspired by. <laughs> and I think Tokyo Vice is really more of an inspired by story. And this happened in my own life as well with The Innocent. So if you've been a listener for a while, you already know this, but if you're new, The Innocent is very loosely based on my life. The Innocent is the second in the Vanessa Michael Monroe series. And with that story, I wanted to give voice to the voiceless. Those of us who'd grown up in this cult had never had our own voice. The cult took our voice, academics took our voice, media took our voice, everybody took our voice and put words in our mouths to turn our lives into whatever version they needed it to be to sell whatever it was they were selling. And so when I wrote this, my goal was to bring real life to the fore using the perspective of those who actually lived it and felt it. But real life can often be a poor venue for story and not just fiction, for story. And what had happened in the cult was so much bigger than me. It was so much more than just what happened to me. And my own version, everything that I had personally witnessed and experienced wasn't necessarily all that I was aware of. I was aware of far more going on around me. And some of the worst things that happened weren't happening to me personally. The only way I could see to tell the whole story complete and real and full with a through line that gave the entire thing meaning was to fictionalize it. And so I did. That's that's the tack that I took is I am going to get you as close to reality as possible. But the only way for me to do this that gives you the full picture without going through, you know, 10 books to do it is to compress time and create fictional circumstances to represent what really happened, which is kind of the same tack I assume they took in Tokyo Vice. And this brings us back to something I read. I cannot remember where, but I've seen it play out over and over and over again in real life, where the thing how memoirs and real life stories, a lot of people come to creative writing courses thinking, well, I need to, to tell my story. And very rarely do those stories actually become something that other people want to read because real life doesn't provide the fodder necessary to create something more unless it's in the hands of somebody who truly understands what story is and what the ultimate goal of it is which is to live running for it so i have seen this so many times in real life when i'm encountering people at risk they have lived a very interesting life and everybody who knows them keeps telling them, oh, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And they struggle. It's not the writing that's hard. It is the story that's hard. How do you decide what to include, what to leave out? And if you leave out this other thing, then does this thing down the road make sense? This is the challenge of story and this is the magic of story 
when you are able and you have the skill set to take what is real and manipulate it into something beyond what is real, now you have a story. And very few people have the lives that you can do that with. And of those who do have those lives, very few have the ability or the skill to turn it into something more. You just get lost. You get lost in all of the weeds. And this sense of being lost in the details, that happens in fiction too, with fiction writers who lose themselves in all these moving parts and moving pieces. So much like the episode that we did about ideas as chain links, where the, the end result of that concept was if you can remember that every idea that you add is going to create, start a new chain that is going to have to be connected back. The same here applies, the same concept here applies with the story manipulation. Your goal, the goal in all of this is to be able to take what exists and create of it something complete and whole in itself. And when readers are saying, oh, well, this felt like you were making it up, they're just saying you stopped too soon. <laughs> you stopped before you were able to take what you had made up and make it look like you really thought about it and that there was a purpose and a point. And that is the essence of this concept that has been tumbling around inside my head. All right. That was, that was really interesting. And I, I got a number of takeaways from what you said. I was mostly focused on as you were going through, okay, where do we break this into <laughs> one episode and then two episodes? But there are a couple of things that you said that really resonated with me. One of which was that, uh, and this is the reason why my reality is different than your reality. And uh, I, I think uh, that that's, that's a, a lesson that we could all learn, not just in terms of, of storytelling, but just in terms of living. And that helps to explain uh, a lot of the dissension that we have in, in the world. Uh, the way we can each look at an event and one person can see it one way and another person can see it just a completely different way, which is uh, kind of cool. Uh, I also yeah. love I love the way you <laughs> you finally we've been talking about getting narrative drive into a podcast I forever know. and you finally squeezed it in. OK, so. This I have to tell this as a story. Huh. Um, <laughs> Steve, Steve had. Steve had mentioned narrative drive as a potential topic for a show. And I was like, yeah, that's a good topic. And then I started thinking, I actually have no idea how to, for, I don't even know what narrative drive is. I don't know how to frame it or anything. And I had like gone off and looked online, like how are other authors explaining, like other teachers explaining this? Like what words are they using? Like hoping that it would trigger something in my brain. I was like, oh yeah, I get it now. And then it would allow me to, articulate it, you know, the way that I articulate things. And I think I must have had those tabs open on my um, browser for oh, three, four weeks. And finally, a few days ago, I shut them down because I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. And then <laughs> as I was going through this and I'm thinking about the differences between real life and story, I'm like, real life is random story has this thread that runs through it. 
And I'm like, that's what narrative drive is. It's the, it's the wholeness of it. And all of a sudden I understood narrative drive. And of course, you know, we talked about it for like five minutes, but narrative drive, I'm like, oh, I get it. And I laughed inside my head and now <laughs> you mentioned it to me and I laughed out loud because it's funny, but yes. Now we don't have to do an episode on narrative drive. And I, of course, <laughs> thought, okay, I'm breaking it right before narrative drive, and I'm going to use the term narrative drive in the headline for the event. <laughs> <laughs> so we can finally kind of have an episode on um, on narrative drive. I want to go back to last week's episode where you were giving the three story examples, uh, where the first one was just a disconnected series of events that happened without any yes. narrative drive. Um, yes. And just in listening, that was like, okay, these are things that are happening. And it's like, yeah, it's not super interesting. And then when you got into the next one, where it was sort of a thrillerish drive to the story, somebody's, somebody's after the two women, and there's a reason they're after them. And, uh, you know, they run into truck drivers who are badasses and things like that. That's, that's like, okay, that sounds like a fun story. And then you gave the example of someone who just kind of wanted to write a mother-daughter bonding experience story. And then you told that story. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to read that story. But it's funny <laughs> the way, you know, you just told the same story three different ways with no narrative drive, a thrillerish narrative drive, and a women's fiction kind of yeah. narrative drive. Yeah. And it 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 really became three different stories. Exactly. And that's, that is what you just described is the heart of the magic of story is you take the details that you have as close to real life as you can get, and then you manipulate them. And what creates that sense of wholeness is entirely unique based on how you thread it, how you link the ideas, the words that you use. That's the magic of story. But since we're talking about this, I want to bring up something that I actually deleted out of my uh, essay because I felt that it was going to take us off in a different direction and it would break the unity of thought <laughs> that I had been struggling so hard to find. And it, it has to do with that first story where the mother and the daughter, they, they just go on this trip from Dallas to San Diego, right? And I'm going to highlight here the part of that story that I want to, that I'm going to use for this example. When they get to Midland, Odessa, they detour to the Permian Basin Petroleum Museum. And while they're at the museum, they accidentally stumble into a conflict that's not related to them and they become witnesses to a crime. And that puts their lives in danger and a whole lot of excitement and drama comes from it and they have to extricate themselves from that situation and then they get on their way again. So in our example, that was just one of several things that happened to the women in this serial event romp across half the United States. And we and I'm using it as an example of what doesn't work. But now I want to zoom in on it a little bit and show you from a different lens. It doesn't work because it's part of a larger tale that does not connect and fit together with that unifying thread, that narrative drive. But if we were to take just that portion and separate it out, in itself, it could become 
a complete story, fully whole, on its own, maybe a shorter story. Because that one event from beginning, middle, end has its own through line. So the the background and the the external detail that would have brought them to that time and place, why they ended up there, what was happening after they got out of there, those would be enough to bookend that small part of this larger rambling, doesn't know what it is story and become something complete in itself. So it's not that the details themselves couldn't work. It's that they didn't work without that unity of thought, without giving it purpose, giving it meaning, but you could take aspects of it and turn those into a whole story on itself. And so I guess my point highlighting that is don't mistake one for the other. The issue is not the specific details that are going into the story that are making it not work. It's that those details don't connect to anything else, but if there's nothing else for them to connect to, if those details are the be all and end all, then you again are back to looking at, oh, that's a story. And that is the challenge of writing fiction is, well, it's one of, it's a challenge that can be split into a thousand different smaller challenges that come together and make this whole is knowing what details to include and whatnot, knowing when you're off on a tangent that can't connect back and when it can, what will strengthen, what will not strengthen. And that is where the craft comes from. And it can only come about through doing it seeing it, playing with it, and thinking about it, figuring it out inside your head so that you find a way to to create the elements that are necessary to give that story purpose and meaning. I wish I knew what story it was that that reader had left that review on, because I would love to go read it and see if I could find in the story what it was this reader was picking up on. Why did this story feel that it was being made up as it went as the author went along? Which we all know that's what's happening, but it's not supposed to feel that way. So what was it about that? And I remember when I read Lord of the Rings, I it it was one of the very first books that I, well books as <laughs> books as in books plural that I read Uh, after getting out of the cult. So when I read Lord of the Rings, I had no experience, very, very minimal experience of what story was supposed to feel like. And this was before the Lord of the Rings movies had been made. So all I had was the words on the page. And at the time of reading it, there were aspects that felt very unified, coherent and whole and pulled me in. But I also remember one of my biggest frustrations with reading it was that it felt to me like the author was just making it up as they went along. And because the story, the reason for that is that the story starts off very happy in, in Hobbit land where everything is bright and green and, you know, birds are chirping and it's very Disney. And then it starts getting darker and getting darker and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse and more stuff keeps getting pulled in. And as you go along, you start learning more and more things. And I'm going to chalk up and just say maybe bad reading comprehension. Maybe I was missing a lot of stuff. I had just had a baby. I was reading, you know, between nursing, well, during, while I was nursing my baby. Um, 
So, you know, it could be on me. But I remember at the time feeling like there's nothing at the beginning of this story to give me an idea of what I was getting into further down the line. And while stuff did tie together and keep coming back and and it was all finally explained by the end, more or less, it was so meandering and so long that it just felt that he didn't have an idea at the outset of where he was going with it. He just started here and and just kept writing and and building it and building it and building it. And at the end, it just felt very mishmash to me, me who had no concept of what a story was supposed to look like. Now, I don't know if I went back and read it today, if I would still feel that same way and I'm not going back, (laughs) but it is, but I can still articulate what made me feel that way about it. And I think that that has always stuck with me through my own writing process is I never want to create a scenario where someone who's reading my work feels that way about it. Because when I go into a story, I want to feel like I'm not going to be, uh, I don't want to say I don't want to be surprised, but I don't want to start one story and find out it's something else by the time I get to the end. It's just, it's, it's not a pleasant experience. And nowadays, anybody who goes into reading Lord of the Rings, I mean, you have to be, you have to be really, really, really disconnected from life to not already know what you're getting when you go into it. So if you already have seen the movies, heard about the movies, or just had any inkling of social um, pop culture or whatever, you know you're going into a pretty dark story when you start it. And so the whole Hobbit openings or everything, it's not going to feel like you're being misled because you already know what you're getting into. But if he, but I didn't because none of that stuff existed when I read it. And so I've always carried that with me as a beacon of, hey, remember how this made you feel? Don't do that. And, and it's possible he knew exactly where he was going with it all along, but I didn't get that as a reader. And it's possible that readers who read my stuff may feel like, I'm just making it up as I go along. And and that's going to happen regardless, no matter how well you construct and manipulate and and create something purposeful with your story. There's always going to be somebody who doesn't get it. And that's okay. What you're going for is averages. Most people who read it don't feel that way. And and that's the best that you can do. But learning how to do that, learning how to figure out what belongs and what doesn't that's craft and that's why learning the craft never ends because it's always going to be different circumstances different story and your skill at what how many elements you can throw into a story and keep them all connected and interconnected that that's going to grow too as you grow and so i think i've been I'm going to start rambling at this point, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is uh, that is our show for this week. Uh, thank you guys very much for listening. We will be back with you again next Tuesday. Thanks for being here, guys. As always, I would love your input, and we will see you again next week. <laughs>